uh, you know, we're driving up and you kind of go through the checklist. Yeah, I got this, I got this, I got this. And, you know, my, my hanging bag with my jacket and my shirt, they're still in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> a little, little side trip to a big box store and here I am. Hey. Reminds me of, a, I retired as a Navy captain. I remember um, walking the Pentagon with Mark Balsh years ago. And we would uh, meet in the morning or at noon, depending on the time of day or what was going on, and whether I was in this country or somewhere else, and we would walk the, the rings and, and pray. You know, Monday would be the A ring, B would, Tuesday would be the B ring. And, you know, it was, there were five stories, so you'd do some calculations. It takes a while to get to the Pentagon. But, um, you know, th this is us. Uh, and we are not the perfect disciple family. We're a mess in a lot of ways. Come on, tell us. And, uh, you know, we've been, but we've been married 41 years. I think that's called perseverance. Um, we, we have four kids, all now happily married. That, that took a little bit. Um, a couple of prayer projects, six grandkids, they're all perfect. And uh, we, we are kind of a, a prototype Caleb Core, give me the high country couple. We have no idea what we're doing. And we're, a, we're an ex experiment in uh, what do you do after you retire a couple of times? All right. Uh, I, I've tried retiring three times, and I, I'm not sure I've got it figured out yet. But as been mentioned, we were baptized in San Diego. 28 years ago, and um, I really want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to share some thoughts this morning. Um, I think I have to go next slide now, right? Uh, th this is the gang. Uh, you know, our, I know that here in, in Charlotte, we've been kind of working on the concept of family. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I look out here, I, I see various sizes, various shapes, various colors. I go, oh, I kind of recognize that. It looks a lot like, like that group, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, it, it's taken us some time to really figure out how all this fits together. You know, Romans 1-7, which is a, uh, depending on the, here, I had that all marked, and now I don't, so there you go. Um, it has a, a greeting from Paul to the Romans. <laughs> It says, uh, to, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be, now depending on what uh, translation you're reading, it can be saints. Some of us feel like we don't qualify for that category. Right. Uh, or holy people yeah. or God's family. And I think we want to talk a little bit about that today from the standpoint of just being able to have some family discussions in times of, uh, as we begin to talk about some of these subjects. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do we get to that condition of being a holy family? And uh, like some of you, Cheryl and I became disciples later in life. I was 40 years old when I really seriously sat down and, and studied the Bible and said, what does this thing really say? I grew up religious, but they were kind of just words on the page. And I was supposed to read them every once in a while, but they didn't really have much impact, quite frankly. Uh, I was married with four kids, all of whom were out of control. Um, and I tried to control my family environment with intimidation, threats, bribes, authoritarian attitude, uh, and in some ways by marriage as well. Uh, I had literally decades of poor training, or none at all, 
on, on how to build a fan base. <laughs> and it, the results were limited success, I might add. Mm. Um, by worldly standards, we had it all. A great career, you know, a beautiful wife, uh, wild kids. Um, and when I was first baptized, we just had this fascinating event at the dinner table. Um, you know, the, Cheryl and I are on this end, and then there's the four minions, yeah. you know, raging from ages about 12 to 4. And uh, I, it was kind of quiet, and, and all of a sudden I look out of the corner of my eye, and there's, we, we had mashed potatoes and green beans, and I can't remember the protein, but that doesn't matter. But the green beans and the potatoes were flying across the table. <laughs> there was literally a food fight at the dining room table the night after I got baptized. And I look at this and I go, well, where's this peace and joy thing at? <laughs> but, you know, this just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, the, the uh, authoritarian uh, side of me kicked in, smacked a hand on the table. Everybody stopped. All of you go to your rooms, clean this mess up, you know, the whole, the whole shtick. And then I went and called one of the guys that I studied the Bible with, and I said, Man, you, you know, I don't know about this. This is, this is the events that are taking place at my house. And he just kind of laughed. <laughs> Thanks for the empathy, dude. Um, and it, he said, you know, it's, it's Satan attacking your family through your kids. Because right. they don't have that relationship with God yet. you got a lot of training to do. you got a lot of work to do. But this is just a, you know, this is just the first round. This is, you got plenty of opportunities. So were, were we a holy family? I don't think so. Um, go ahead. You know, I, I want to talk about the, the real scripture today that, that I want to focus on is in uh, Galatians uh, 5, 16 through 18. And, and it has a, a lot of personal impact for me because my personal struggle to find righteousness in God's terms, not mine, was pretty ugly in a lot of ways. I knew what God's word said, uh, and for a while, that was enough. I had struggled with impurity off and on uh, up until that point in my life, although I can say that I was never physically unfaithful to my wife. That was a bit of a platitude in some sense, because that's not the standard to which God called me. That was the standard that I kind of set for my own life. Right? Okay, I'm going to draw the, I'm going to make up the rules and this is how it's going to work. But that was not what God called me to. Um, once I became a disciple, I was content for a number of years. You know, you kind of put on that new self like, like Drew was talking about. But if, if you don't go back and start fixing things, those things are still there. Yeah. Yeah. They will come back. Yeah. Uh, Satan's just waiting for that right time to kind of roll that out. And um, for me, I, I began to travel, a high-stress job, both in the Navy and in the uh, uh, and in follow-on years in, in my retirement. And at first, it was an escape mechanism. Uh, it was the adult channel in the hotel room. Um, but when it became a reward system for me, I knew I was in trouble, mm -hmm. but I had no clue what to do. I was kind of wandering around helpless. Uh, I kept it secret for a number of years. I confessed enough uh, to let guys know I was struggling. But, but I had this very sophisticated confession technique where I would tell one guy something, and I would tell another guy something, and I would tell a third guy something. So everybody, my story's out there, but in a little bitty pieces. Yeah. So it didn't look so bad. But if you did the ag aggregation on those, 
was a mess. I really was. So, um, and from my, my marital and family perspective, it robbed me of my emotional commitment to my wife. Really mm -hmm. did. Yeah. And it, it took away the spiritual umbrella that God kind of gave me as my responsibility on how to raise my kids. And I think the results are, are evident, and that that's, that's responsibility is mine. In 2006, a friend of mine and I uh, decided to, we we're going to have to do something. And, and we found uh, David Widener's material out of the Chicago Church of Christ called The Freedom Ministry, which was a little pamphlet. We, we downloaded it off the internet, printed it, and said that was our, you know, that was our, our, our starting point. Um, and now it's, it's 2019, 13 years later. Uh, I can say that I'm victorious, but not as a self-help, self willpower process, but only through God's grace and the study of the scriptures and what they really demanded of me. And my wrestling with this issue nonstop for 13 years. The battle's not over. Uh, the war's not won. This will be a lifelong struggle for me because of the way I grew and shaped my personality and my, the way I think about things. But I'm in the fight. Amen. Are we a holy family? I wonder. But it is a hope I absolutely hold dear and cling to. Yeah. And I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. The art... My first point here is that I believe the church, we, us, you, are under attack. Yeah. You know, that scripture says that, so I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So you see the conflict there, right? They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So it's kind of a tricky thing to think about there at the end. So, you know, what is the purpose of a godly relationship? And I think we have to look hard at that. Matthew 28, 19 is fairly clear. It says we're to make disciples. But often we live our lives for totally selfish purposes, if we're honest with ourselves. Uh, sin is a direct reflection of that, and persistent or addictive sin is an example of that focus. But, but what do the scriptures really say are the purposes of our lives? We mentioned one, make disciples. Now, when we make those disciples, they're supposed to be imitators of Christ, not imitators of us. There's a distinction there. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but there is. And, you know, in Matthew 5, 16, Romans 15, 6, and 1 Peter 2, 12, it's kind of throw those out there, all this material is available, but it says that we are supposed to live our lives to glorify God. And when you kind of boil it all down, those are the two functions of our lives. But is that the way we really live? Are we living by the Spirit, or are we living by the desires of our own flesh? Go ahead, now, here's some raw statistics. I shared some yesterday in a little more detail, but today, church statistics, this is done in ACR, Church of Christ, churches, indicate that 20 to 25% of the men are deeply engaged in habitual sin with internet impurity. Is that living by the Spirit or satisfying the desires of the flesh? Mm -hmm. 
A survey published in the Virginia Pilot several years ago indicated that 33% of the male population in the United States is severely impacted by internet pornography. Now, 20 to 25% versus 33%, that's not a big point spread, okay? Yeah. Another interesting item is that um, millennials today, you don't have to raise your hands, um, <laughs> believe pornography is beneficial to our society. Now that's a, that's a bit of an odd thinking technique, but there you are. Yes, the kingdom of God is under attack by every social and cultural norm we're surrounded by today. That's per, that percentage point spread is not very impressive. Do we really consider ourselves set aside as a holy people, a holy family? I'm not sure. I think we gotta look hard at this. Mm -hmm. And it's not a sure bet. In football, that's two scores, maybe three for the Redskins. What good inning for the Nationals? Uh, two quick tries for the All Blacks of New Zealand, if you understand rugby. But this is not a new problem. The delivery mechanism in the recent history has become totally unique. Everyone essentially has immediate access to the internet. But Deuteronomy 5 starts with God's first formal guidance for living as his people. It gives us the Ten Commandments. Direct and to the point, not much room for negotiation. <laughs> Number seven discusses adultery. And I have to ask you, how do you have a discussion on adultery without addressing the idea of purity? Right. Can't be done. Number 10 talks about covetousness. The first thing on the list is your neighbor's wife. You can't have that discussion without a discussion of purity. But yet today, in the marriage and family relationship, this is probably the most avoided subject yeah. that we can address. And that's what we've got to work on. And in recent surveys within the ACR churches, we are seeing this becoming a woman's issue as well. So I think in the past it was, all oh, that's a guy thing. We're also seeing the women being impacted by it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, if it's a guy thing and he's married, what's happening in the marriage? It automatically becomes the woman's issue. And so I think we've got to really start to change our thinking about this. You know, Psalm 119 provides some pretty profound guidance on this issue. It says, how can a young man stay pure? By living according to your word. There's where we've got to be focused. Mm -hmm. I think in Job 31.1, it, it provides one of the most uh, profound elements from a man's perspective. Job writes that, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully, lustfully at a young woman. Is that the way we think? Is that the way we view the world? Is that the way we live? I wonder. Yes, I believe the kingdom is under attack. And I say this from my own personal experience. And my observation is that many are ignoring the signals and the symptoms of what we're seeing. I'll give you a, a quick history lesson. In 1930, Hitler began his domination of German politics. No, I'm not going to make a political discussion here. But eventually, Hitler dominated Europe. He was ignored or placated for over 10 years. And war became official in 1939. 
It took five years and all the resources the world could muster mm -hmm. to prepare for D-Day, which happened on June 6, 1944. In that time, millions of lives were lost. Europe was completely devastated. I mean, it was bomb flat. It took decades to rebuild. And today, over 70 years later, Europe is without a doubt the most difficult mission field in the world. Mm -hmm. Decades have been lost and wasted in the building of the kingdom of God because the enemy was ignored. God will not be mocked. He will not be defeated. But it is our mission to be working to move the kingdom forward, not sitting idly by and ignoring what's going on around us. And that may be where we're at right now. Yeah. George Santayama, born in Spain, uh, a nod to my Hispanic brothers and sisters, taught at Harvard. But unfortunately, he was an atheist. But he said, those who cannot remember history are condemned to repeat it. And if we don't remember our history, we will walk that road again. What can we learn from this period of history? Very few of us will lie to this period. We cannot, as the Church of Jesus Christ, turn a blind eye to what is going on in our culture and our family today. In a Bible talk of four men, pick any four. Statistically, it says that one of those men is, making, is, is struggling with this issue. Yeah. Now, are we ignoring it or are we even worse accepting it? Every time we make a new man a disciple, there's a 33% chance, I think that's pretty conservative, that he's bringing the struggle with him. But does it even get mentioned? Does it get asked? Does it get addressed? Does he get any help? We're beginning to see this issue in the female population, but are we preparing women around the kingdom to help them? We're seeing this in our young people, our teens and our campus. But are we preparing our families to deal with it? Amen. And there are ways that we can do this. Part of the reason for this struggle with repentance in the kingdom is that we lack discipline and deep conviction on changing our character. Mm -hmm. yeah. When we put on the new self at baptism, we often cling to our old habits, our old patterns. And somehow we convince ourselves that God is satisfied with this version of us. I would argue that God has much bigger plans for our lives. Yeah. But we resist those plans trying to stay who we were and not becoming who God wants us to be. Yeah. And Satan's taken advantage of that opening. We are to make disciples and live lives to glorify God. But is that the way we really live? Now, this is not a gospel of, of self-help or willpower over weakness, but is putting into action the scriptures and the direction that we have to live by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of our flesh. Go ahead. You know, this idea of living by the Spirit, I think we've really got to get in touch with. How does one live by the Spirit? Verse 18 of our text says that if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I want to explore this a little bit. You know, the, the law was the rules for living, the do's and don'ts of society. 
And when we're kids, we live by rules of life. They're usually established in our households, and, and for good reasons. Uh, you know, obedience to those rules really usually helps us survive childhood in some ways. Uh, as a kid growing up on a farm, um, you know, there's a bit of barn, and up on top of the barn is the hay, and underneath is the cows. And uh, the way you got the hay in the barn back in those days, I mean, it, uh, you had a long rope that hung out the front of the barn and went up to the top, and then there was a pulley. And when the pulley hit the top, it released, and then it would slide down the barn. And when it got in where you wanted it, you pulled the rope and all the bales fell out and started the process all over again. Well, we had this bright idea one day that, you know, the, we were all playing up in Haymow and, and the rope hangs down, right? So there's a little platform on the end to do repairs and we thought, hey, you know, what if somebody held on to the rope and the other four of us got on the platform, do a little physics there, right? And uh, so these four jump off and what happens to this guy? Well, he, he becomes airborne. The problem is we didn't complete the physics analysis and realizing that, you know, when we launched that guy, I won't know, I won't tell anybody who we launched. Um, when we launched that guy, the top of that flight is a roof. Yikes, yeah, that's a good term. Um, obviously, a little bit of catastrophe happened there and there was a new rule. No, no jumping off and launching each other in a that Help the kids survive. And as we mature, we, we learn to make decisions on our own, hopefully. And I think it's that decision-making process that really drives where we end up mm. spiritually. Nice. Good point. You know, when we're baptized, <clears throat> we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But do we listen to its promptings? Mm. Or do we completely ignore that new self-atmosphere, that new self-formula that God gives us to help us function as a spiritually focused individual? Do we strive to assess each decision in a spiritual context? I got a newsflash for you. Bat or temptation does not disappear at baptism. But a response pattern is expected to be shifted radically. Unfortunately, with clinging to those old habits, our response pattern doesn't shift very much. The attraction to addiction and indulgent behavior, this has been mentioned, is it's controlled by emotions. And our inability or unwillingness, depending on your personality, to control that and use logical spiritual decision making really determines the response pattern to that temptation. When we were kids, uncontrolled emotional responses. That's fairly common. I know it doesn't happen in your house, but, uh, you know, you, you see the child on the floor throwing a temper tantrum, you know, crying uncontrollably, all those kinds of things. But we seldom see adults acting that way. But they are no better in many cases of recognizing or dealing with the emotional challenges. They've just found other ways. A lot of it is, is not dealing with. Just ignore it. And that what, that's what creates that kind of desire for an escape mechanism. Mm. I can't deal with my emotions. I don't want to deal with my emotions. I don't know how to deal with my emotions. I'll just go over here and play with this, whatever that is. <coughs> Oftentimes that bad habit becomes an addictive behavior yeah. because it's a repetitive process. We don't learn anything else. We don't break the cycle. And all of a sudden, that's the pattern of our life, which doesn't match God's plan for our life. 
at all. You know, when one decides to lose weight, it does not automatically disappear from your hips or your waist. I'm going to be careful with this, you know. And, um, if you decide to get in shape, you don't start by running a five-minute mile. <laughs> Most of us can't run a ten-minute mile. Most of us can't run a mile. <laughs> if we're going to go to the gym and we're going to get in shape, right, you don't start bench pressing at 250 pounds. If you do, where does that bar end up? Maybe on your neck. You kill yourself doing that. You have to work up to these things. Amen. But the question I have for you is that if you know that you have to work up physically and traits don't automatically appear in your life, why do we think of after years, if not decades, of self-indulgent behavior, do we automatically change at baptism? Mm. It doesn't happen. There are character traits that we have to change and we have to work at them. Amen. A lot of times we just ignore them, right. hoping they'll go away. Hope is not a great strategy. No. It doesn't work. But why is this so difficult for a growing portion of our church? You know, we grow up in a, uh, I would say, dare to say, an increasingly self-indulgent culture. Yeah. We often allow ourselves to be controlled by our emotions. We are trained to be controlled by our emotions. Yeah. Social media, commercials, everything says you deserve it, you should have it, and you should have it right now. Yeah. That's our culture. Yeah. In a recent film, I don't know how many of you actually saw it, but it's straight out of Compton. Uh, there's a song that was recorded there uh, in 1970. And I'm sure most of you don't know this band. It's the Charles Wright and 103rd Street Rhythm Band, for those of you who have some history in that. But the name of the song was Express Yourself. That was over 50 years ago. Yeah. And we have been following that mantra ever since. <laughs> Just do it. No restraint. No thought of consequences of our uh, actions. Uh, we learn to go from thought, thought to emotion to action without the benefit of logical, spiritual consideration of God's desires for our lives in the moment. Mm. This is spiritually wrong. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 that says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. For years, I thought those were just words on the page. That, that you just can't live that way. But I'm here to say, we've got to learn to live that way. The idea of controlling our thoughts and emotions is foreign to many of us. Yeah. Yet we need to learn this and find out ways, find ways to make it effective. Yeah. When I recognize the difficulty of my problem in dealing with things, uh, I began to stay at the Marriott Hotel. It's the only hotel I would stay at. Not because I'm a brand snob, but it was the first hotel to take the adult channel out of the hotel. And when I realized that, I said, that's the place for me. Now, that was not the way the travel guys thought. The travel guys thought, here's your workplace, here's the hotel that's closest, or here's the hotel that's cheapest, that's the one you get. And I would have these rounds with the travel folks, you know, I'm not going to stay there, I'm going to stay at the Marriott three blocks farther away, and it costs an extra 15 bucks. So I had to argue that I was 
not going to claim that mileage. I would be willing to pay the difference, yada, 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 yada. Amen. Because I had to fight for that uh, environment in order to be able to function as a disciple in that, in that environment. The only women's phone numbers I have in my phone are my family and discipling partners. So I can rat out Cheryl when I need to. <laughs> I have no social media content. I live in the dark ages. Cheryl shows me the picture of the grandkids. That's okay. Um, we have all our channels blocked on the TV that don't have appropriate content. And then we probably forgot the code, so couldn't get it back if we wanted to, which is okay. And these are just a few of the disciplines and self-control features that I have in my life to help me say no to ungodliness. I had to figure those out. I had to define those so that I wasn't always I wasn't living in this environment of constant temptation. I could be free from that. But, but I had to figure out how to control them, boundary them, uh, cordon them off, not make them part of my normal day-to-day, minute-to-minute, hour-to-hour life. Yeah. And that took some work. That took some discipline. That took some, uh, some effort. We need to be in control of our thoughts and emotions to allow God to reshape us to be what he wants us to be for the kingdom of God and glorify his name. And we need to fight against the cultural indulgent impurity that and, and protect our homes, our families, our lives with every effort, tool, and fiber of our beings. Because Satan is there to take advantage of any opening that you leave open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he will. I invite you at, at your leisure to read Romans 1, 24 to 32. It was written to describe the Roman culture. But I challenge you to draw the parallels to our cultures today. And it is startling. It's mind-boggling. Self-control is something that's hard to teach and hard to do. And as a result, it's not something we do very well. We often don't recognize the need. My experience with our recovery group is is very indicative of that. The process of instilling discipline and self-control is very elusive. It takes constant repetition, constant effort. The individual wants results. They want to change. They see, I, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but how do, I, how do I get there? They want results without the hard work of character change. Yeah. Character change is hard work. Yeah. But God wants that character change that allows us to live by the Spirit and not the strength or weaknesses of our own wills. True repentance is the ability to make the decision and have the desire to do so, to please God. That's living by the Spirit. Amen. It starts with simple decisions. Should I have a quiet time? Yeah. That seems like a fairly straightforward one. Yeah. But when you really look at it, that becomes very difficult for some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have 100 excuses. I'm tired. I'm discouraged. I have a you name it. And it, it detracts from the desire and the ability to spend time with God. But that's the starter fluid for the day. That defines the relationship with God. So I've talked about that joy, that simple joy of being in a relationship with God. You can't take advantage of that Mm. if you don't start there. Go ahead. 
You know, this idea of, of learning to say no uh, is, is completely contrary to our cultural training. Uh, we should get to say yes to anything we want. But what do the scriptures say about purity? Ephesians 5.3 says that there shall not be a hint of sexual impurity, immorality, or greed among God's holy people. So how does one go from a self-indulgent, often out-of-control person to a not-a-hint person? When I began my recovery and the fight to be holy in this area, this seemed like an impossible goal. Ephesians 5.3 was my first recovery memory scripture. And I just kept thinking, this is impossible. Yeah. But I refused to give up. I knew there had to be a solution. Prayer was not enough. Repentance, as I understood it, wasn't working. One could argue that my prayers were not deep enough, long enough, without heart, um, and that maybe I hadn't truly repented. But that would be ignoring the real issue of my character, its weaknesses, and my tendency for addictive behaviors, mm. which you can trace all the way back to my childhood. If we know it's wrong and we do it anyway, that's a deliberate sin. Making excuses, justifying it, allowing it to become more important than my relationship with God, that's idolatry. That's back in Deuteronomy chapter 5 again. That's number one on the list. You shall have no other gods before me. Yet in this environment, we tend to make a lot of things more important yeah. than God. Yeah. And the reality is that that's becoming an idolatry and could possibly be driven by addictive behavior. And we've really got to get into this. If we cannot say no, then is it an addiction or am I just weak? There is a difference between weak character and willful disobedience, but neither is acceptable. Both can result in repetitive sin. Weak character leads to addictive behavior. There are many areas of my character that needed to be repaired, reworked, and rebuilt. And I needed to learn what Titus 2.12 very clearly says in Paul's letter, say no to ungodliness, look like in my life. Because I had kind of self-defined my own standard. And that was not God's standard. We're given tools and the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide us. But do we listen? Every time I traveled, I had to decide where I was going to stay and if I was willing to have the fight with the travel folks. Um, I had to be willing to deal with the consequences of that struggle, whatever they were. You know, every time we indulge in that late night TV program without those blocked channels, or view the racy YouTube video or the sketchy Facebook post, we are ignoring Paul's direction to Titus to learn to say no to ungodliness. Mm -hmm. I don't have a Facebook account or a YouTube Can you have a YouTube following? I don't know mm -hmm. how that works, but anyway. Um, not, not because I'm antisocial, but because they don't contribute to my effort to be without a hint. We need to be in control of our thoughts and emotions to allow God to reshape us to what he wants us to be for the kingdom. We need to fight against the indulgent, impurity, protect our homes and families with every tool and fiber of our beings. You don't allow strangers in your children's rooms at night, do you? No. Do you allow them to have access to their phones or their computers in their rooms at night? Good 
It's the same question. Are you allowing unfettered access to your family in your home? This is part of our repentance in the kingdom of God. We need to train our bodies, our minds, and our spirits to make righteous decisions, to live by the spirit, not gratify the desires of the flesh on a daily basis. This is how we will live, learn to live, to glorify God. Learning to live by spirit and saying no to ungodliness is a very key building block for a righteous life that God can then use to build the kingdom. The kingdom is under attack but not just from purity, but from whatever you find your persistent sin, that the one thing you're not willing to surrender has that same dulling impact on you as a weapon to fight for God in the kingdom of God. Yeah. How can you offer your life as an example of salvation if it looks just like one lived in the world? Is there really a difference? So what will you choose? To live by the Spirit or to continue to live by the desires of the flesh? We, we need to admit where we are, be honest with ourselves and those around us, and come up with a plan to fight it. Use the tools that God has given us, the Bible, prayer, each other, the Holy Spirit, listening to the promptings that were promised. We need to learn to say no to ungodliness, and develop the disciplines and decision-making to be self-controlled and pursue the Spirit. At each decision point, we can say no to temptation and truly seek righteousness. And in doing so, we will build that part of our character. This is the example that will draw others to glorify God. Romans 1.7 says that we are called to be a holy people, a holy family, saints. But are we living that way? If not, what do we need to change? We need to find the courage to make those changes. And we need to help each other change. This needs to be an open discussion as a family. Not the avoided taboo subject that it is often viewed as today. Our goal is to live godly lives to glorify God. As the family of Jesus Christ. We need to make disciples who imitate Jesus Christ. I just want to thank you all for letting me share a few thoughts and moments with you this morning. And thank you so very much. Amen to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Seth Mitchell. And if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, you can go to blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 7 p.m. Wednesdays or 10.30 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.